to the pod. You're here with Reggie and Xavier, your host, and this is Sometimes You're the Frog. Welcome back to the pod. We're Sometimes You're the Frog. You're here with Reggie. Xavier's here as usual. Um, and we're back after three weeks. We've been working a lot and trying to maintain schedules and our schedules have been colliding so it's just been life but yeah we're seeing the new Jiju movie tonight hope i'm hoping that well i know it's gonna look great but i'm hoping that it like it feels great you know what i mean like hope i get some shonen shivers and some more shit i mean it's juju literally so like you said i'm hoping i hope it's just not like OVA, but a movie. Could it be? That's a, you know. But nonetheless, we're joined with a very special guest today, someone in this Chicago artistic community, broader Black intellectual sphere. Um, so it should be a really good conversation. And Again, like we always say, we're hoping we've been trying to get like tap into consistency with you guys, but coordinating with other people has been it's been a thing. Like yeah. life is moving. It's winter. Um and now it's spring. Oh, it's spring yeah. in some places. It's spring in some places. <laughs> it's varying spring in Chicago. But yeah, let's jump in the pot. Thank you guys for listening. Welcome back to the pot. We're joined today with Zakia Najiba Dumas O'Neill, an artist and curator currently here in Chicago. Um, the work for me um, encourages conversation just about the past and the future and, of course, the present. Um, in the work, it seems like you're dealing with yourself and how you align with. I guess historical and contemporary movements across the queer spectrum. Would you say that's accurate? You know, like, yeah, would you? Yeah. <laughs> it seems like you really get at that in your film, To Render the Infinite, mm. which was really beautiful. If I could just take time to say that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, but yeah, thank you for joining us, Akia. You're like somebody that we originally really wanted to get in just because one, for those that don't know, like aside from the art practice shit, you really do this cultural work shit from many different vantage points and many different like areas of labor, especially here in Chicago. And then on top of that, like you're brilliant. So like we try to get in contact with <laughs> radically unspecified people and we were hoping that um, you could just give our listeners a little bit of context and entry point into some of the things you've been thinking about currently. And we can talk just a little bit about the practice and just see where that leads us. I definitely want to hear about your relationship to research mm. um, and your relationship to finding your own personal perspective in research, like, mm. and just being aligned with things, but making really specific um intentions around your viewer your intentions as a maker and also just there's just a lot of intention 
drawn. I mm-hmm. yeah, and maybe we can talk about drawing for a little bit because I know that you like your stuff. But yeah, yeah. I'm also before you even sorry, just to add in right there. I'm also curious about the intention as far as it relates to like medium because I know you talk about uh, in your graphite works. There's this intention to like you're you building a relationship with the, the actual words that you're. I guess reciting or, you know, uh, what's the word? Translating to to the page. Yeah. So is there like, is there like, oh, it had to be graphite, or is it like this medium felt, you know, just closest to proximity or accessible? Like, I guess you know, just what is the relationship to medium? Yeah. So I'll start. That's a lot. So like my brain is like in different directions right now, but I'll start, I'll first start with Reggie's questions and then kind of like work into that. Um, because right now I've been thinking a lot about slowness. So that also relates to those graphite works and charcoal works. Like a lot of people over the course of the pandemic, I was forced and encouraged to slow down. And for me, I had the privilege to do that. So like I recognized that in my situation, not everyone was able to do that, right? Like I have family members and friends and people who still had to get up and go to work every day. Um, And so for me in that moment, I was like, how do I utilize this moment in time that I might never get back again? because a lot of us are back in the workforce. I mean, I'm working 40 hours a week now full time. And during that space in my life, I really was confronted with just like ways that I wasn't being fully honest with my practice and like not shying away from like my real desires. And my real desires are, have a lot to do with slowness. They also have a lot to do with romanticism or like this idea of dreaming and taking advantage of as much leisure time as possible. And so um, there's also this concept of elsewhere that I've been working through and thinking about how do I sort of rebuild my art practice from that space and thinking through world making. So you mentioned the charcoal drawings and you also mentioned to render the infinite. Earlier And those two projects, they weren't meant to be related, but they actually have a lot of common themes in mind. And that common theme, I mean, is obviously Lorraine Hansberry, who is like one of the loves of my life. <laughs> um, she's not here, but I do, I can say that I do love her and I feel a closeness to her just through reading her work and reading the short stories that I was transcribing. And with To Render the Infinite, again, I was thinking about this idea of elsewhere, like how can I make work that encourages Black folks and people to sort of think outside of these systems that we're a part of? And I think as a Black artist, especially, like there's a lot of pressure to make critical and social commentary all the time. It's like, if I'm making work, it has to be about my blackness or it has to be about um, my queer identity or there has to be some sort of like marginal identity or measurement within that. 
And I'm not really interested in that anymore. Like, yes, the queerness is a part of it. The Black femme identity is very much a part of it. But I'm interested in how the queerness and the Black femme perspective influence like ways of living, how they influence like slowness and how these perspectives influence a way of feeling or a way of being that isn't dictated by like outside forces. And so a lot of it has to do with like looking inward. Um, and I think for so long, I didn't want to look inward because I feel like sometimes doing that kind of work on yourself can be looked at as like frivolous, but it's actually necessary. <laughs> like it's neat. like everybody at some point in their life deserves or should have the space to slow down and look inside of themselves and really question and interrogate what their desires are or what it is that they want. And so I would hope that my work invites people to do that. It invites them to think about their relationship to like slow time, their relationship to um, the things that they might be desiring or their relationship to finding time and space to think outside of um, work or outside of like, you know, productivity all the time. And that's been something I've been thinking about a lot. And I actually, I don't know if the viewers are going to be able to see this, but I actually have this book that I've been reading, which has been really transformative, The Sovereignty of Quiet, um, Beyond Resistance in Black Culture by Kevin Kwashi. I don't know if y'all have like heard of this or have been reading it, but... That's on. It, I mean, it really has been a template for me. Um, and I'm just going to read one particular thing that I had saved that really made me think about just myself um, in a certain way and like my work. Um, so there's a part where he says, how does interiority inform interactions with other people? How does the quiet subject negotiate moments of subjection and power? What is the action that quiet motivates or how does it shape behavior? Simply, what does a quiet life look like? So that's like a question um, that I've been asking myself, like, what does a quiet life look like? What does interiority look like? And how do you visualize interiority? And for me, like, I really, I'm really interested in kind of like moving away from like overt representations of black culture that are rooted in like resistance and like always struggling all the time. And like, yes, those things are real, but I'm also thinking about like, what does it mean to think about black folks as observers of the world, right? Like, what does it mean to think about ourselves as folks who have um, internal thoughts or internal interrogations, or what does it mean to think about like, the small moments of joy that we might have in our lives or what does it feel like for us to be loved by a friend or a lover or a family member? Like what are kind of like those soft spaces that we get to experience? Um, and I think sometimes when you're moving so fast in this world um, and always trying to be reactionary towards everything, it can really limit your ability to just be present with the moments that you're experiencing, because I feel like that 
is like the vastness of humanity. Um, and I feel like, and they talk, and he talks about this in this book a lot about how when we don't pay attention to that, that that actually further dehumanizes our experience because it means that we are not allowed or we don't have the space to think about our interior lives or just our everyday mundane lives or like the beautiful things that we see every day that have nothing to do with our oppression or our subjugation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's like, I think about that all the time. Like those are the, so that's what I've been thinking about now is like stillness, quietude, slowness. And how do I activate that within my work so that it can also be a co-thinking space between myself and like the person who's viewing the work. Um, And so I think that intentionality is creating work, like I was saying before, that might encourage people to like slow down or look at something a little bit longer instead of looking at it and then walking away super fast. You mentioned an elsewhere. Is that like a mental elsewhere, (laughs) a metaphysical elsewhere? Are you like also thinking about actual space that you can, I guess, set aside for people? It's all of that. All the the whole amalgamation of it. All of it. Like I, like I was the people who are my home earlier. I literally was saying my home space, I treat it as like world building. Like this is a space that I'm living, a space that I'm taking care of. When I walk into my home, I want it to be like a space that feels like distinctly me, but also warm if other people are invited in and that it's like a kind of like a quiet space outside of like the world. Um, but I think elsewhere is also a mental state. Um, it's also, you know, I think the, I want to say like the most immediate example I can think of is thinking through like how folks have conceptualized like Afrofuturism, mm-hmm. like Afro, you know, black surrealism, where it's like thinking of other, like thinking of other worlds, right. In an imaginative way, but how do we do that in real time? Um, And so I also think of elsewhere as like a space, like even what we're doing right now, like we're having this conversation in different locations. Um, And yeah, it's happening all at once. And so that to me is a form of elsewhere. I've also been thinking about it as like otherwise. So there's another um, scholar whose work I really love, um, Ashan Crawley. And they wrote this essay about like otherwise potentials. So to think otherwise means to think outside of like the normative Um, and to think outside of like time and like the, and to think in a way that's not linear, but it's like, how is my experience? How might that be connected to like, you know, a movement from like the 1960s? How was that also connected to like, I don't know, someone else's experience in another country who might be thinking about the same things that I'm thinking of. Um, And I also think of elsewhere as like connected consciousness because there are also a lot of other black artists who are oftentimes thinking through the same things, but they either are struggling to articulate it or they're not in a community or collective space where they're able to like really work through it or talk about it in a certain way. So I think for me, 
like that is elsewhere. Like elsewhere is like when I go to the lake and I watch a sunset, like that feels otherworldly to me. Like I feel like I'm not confined by space and time. Like I'm just having an experience and I'm having a feeling and an emotion. Um, so wait, do you feel compelled to observe these moments or are you like compelled to also activate and I guess, yeah, wherever you take I mean, it's usually observant. I mean, because I think for me, that's how I'm able to process. Like I'm obviously experiencing something in real time, but my observation of it is also a documentation that I had the time to like do that. Um, and I can always go back to it. So for example, like I did a series where I was just photographing sunsets by the water um, during a residency that I had. And like, I can't even tell y'all like what that felt like. Like I was literally going to the water every day by myself. I was the only person on the beach watching these sunsets for like two weeks. And it felt, it just felt very like out of body. Like I felt, I was like, what did I do to like deserve the beauty of like this time of having this kind of time? And like, all I'm doing is just paying attention to the horizon and the sunset and the water. And so if I ever want to go back to that, I can look at the videos I have or the images that I have, but I can also reflect on a moment in time, I guess, an experience that I was having that has nothing to do with like my condition. It has nothing to do with like um, me being a woman, me being queer. Like it was just something that I experienced um, that for me is still hard to put into words. It's just a feeling. <laughs> Zakia, I'm just gonna say one. All the things that you're like tackling mentally are like all of, I feel like the key human experiences that make this art shit so abundant. Like I do, I want to like just say that first, because I think I was telling Xavier the other day that I feel like there's certain trying to build vocabulary for these types of intentions becomes difficult because mm -hmm. the word you subscribe to it usually in your communication starts to apply a different context. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like there's so many makers right now, especially like us, like black folk who are like almost like chasing light. Like we're like light chasing, like, Oh in, my God. Yes. Like a very <laughs> real and like active way. And yeah, it just like, I, I can't do anything but smile when I hear people like talk about an experience of mindfulness that is completely individualized to their experience of the world because inherently like that's living. Like you said earlier, like there's a lot of people who can't like unattach what they do with their day-to-day, -day, what they do in this current like state, rather it's the time period, age range with who they are and like, simple things like going outside and catching like a gust of air that doesn't feel like contaminated. Like when you smell some fresh ass air and it's like no cigarette in it is no fucking construction fumes. It's like, damn, right. it's amazing today. Like those moments are what I think like viewership is hopefully able to, you know, do in what we try to do at least in the visual art context. And like, I don't know, like I just, I just really want to affirm 
just being able to vocalize that like i that's something many xavier just talk about all the time like just being able to say like yeah living is fucking gorgeous like and if you like pause and really just think about the fact that like you woke up like you woke up and these are the things that the world like presented in front of you and i know that there's a bunch of other crazy shit because i think a lot of times people oh yeah like and it's hard it's like when you tell somebody oh i think you should do this and they're like why are you making it sound easy i'm like no listen i didn't say it was easy i'm saying right. this is what is like <laughs> happening but like it's so real like i don't know but i think it's like recognizing the nuance because i get what you're saying like it's really it's really complicated and i think this is why i I think that's why the like domestic space and like thinking about the everyday mundane tasks that we might do, like go to the grocery store or go for a walk by the lake or, you know, go get a cup of coffee or go for a bus ride on the CTA, whatever that is. Like there's, if you pay attention, like there's really particular things that can happen in those moments that are actually really beautiful or interactions that you have with other people that can be beautiful. And I was thinking about this because I was spending some time looking through some older black films through the Black Film Center archive um, that's in Bloomington, Indiana. And I was trying to return back to like the black filmmakers who were making films during the LA rebellion. And what I really loved about those films, like, a lot of them do encompass aspects of, you know, struggle, survival modes that are very familiar to Black folks here in America or ways of like not feeling good enough or like attaching your value to your labor and your ability to take care of a family. And a lot of those LA Rebellion films had those dynamics within them, but the beauty of them is their ability to like, show moments of intimacy between those like hard times. Um, like there's a particular scene I was just talking to someone about um, the actress Casey Moore, who's in this film called Bless Their Little Hearts by filmmaker uh, Billy Woodbury. There's like a, you know, her and her husband, they don't have a lot of money. Her husband is unemployed. She's like, you bringing money home to help me take care of these kids? And he's like, I'm unemployed. I don't feel like a man. I feel masculine. There's like all these different. Oh, right, right, right. Um, but he's also like, he has a mistress on the side because he feels like he can't be a man at home. So his way of projecting that is like cheating on the wife and doing all this other stuff. But the beauty of that film is that like, there's a scene where she's taking a bus ride and she's just like, she just has her hand like on the rail, the seat in front of her. And it's just such a slow scene. And you see that this woman is like experiencing like quietude and stillness outside of the responsibilities that she has at home with her kids, with her husband. And it's like for a quick moment in time, like she's stress-free and she obviously goes back into that, but it's like one of the most beautiful like scenes in a film to me because I'm like, wow, you're witnessing this black woman in movement on a bus, but it's like, it, it's moving so slow. And like, she, in my interpretation is like experiencing a moment of slowness and observation in the world that might not have anything to do with her condition, 
Um, like her condition is very impaired, but in that moment, she's just an observant human being who needs like space away or like, you know, that's like her own form of mm. elsewhere or like the scenes where she's like sleeping in the bedroom. There's like several like um, stills of her just sleeping. And I'm like, that is elsewhere, you know, or like I think about I take a lot of screenshots of hands in films um, and people holding hands and doing different things with their hands. Um, and in, I don't know if you all have seen Killer of Sheep, but like that was another film that came out during the LA Rebellion. And there's like some beautiful scenes in that movie um, where there's like close-ups of like what's happening with the hands. And Casey Moore is also in that film too, the same actress. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like, I don't know. I just think, I don't know. Niggas deserve slow time. We deserve to be just like experience like those moments of gorgeousness that you were talking about. And um, I've been finding that a lot through reading, but also like through my work, really trying to revisit spaces and places that allow me to just sit within that. There's also like a, a tragedy in it too, in the observation of that beauty. Yes, there is. <laughs> yes, there is. Yeah. So it's, I don't know, it's like the, it's like an elsewhere, but I feel like it also starts, or at least you're the, you're the expert observer of elsewhere. I'm not the expert. As far as, you know, our conversation goes. So I feel like it's definitely now, I'm starting to see more of the spectrum side of it, like, you could be elsewhere, but even within the elsewhere, there's like, you know, there's a limit to your elsewhereness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's like with anything, really. Um, and and it, this also goes back to why I love jazz so much, because I think about jazz as a form of elsewhere. Like, it's such a melancholic, like, tragic genre mm -hmm. you know for most of jazz history like a lot of jazz musicians the music that they're creating is like this it's like an abstraction of pain and it hurts to play that type badness. of music. yeah it hurts like I've cried listening to this stuff because I'm like damn I'm like this this man like if you've ever listened to like like uh, what's his name, Max Roach or like Lee Morgan or like early Miles Davis, like they were like, like their pain, it was like so inescapable. That was the only place they could put it. But it's like, it's also so tragically beautiful to get to what you were saying, Xavier. It's like, and I go back and forth with that a lot because I definitely don't think that pain should be romanticized, but also, I think it's mind blowing that that can also be the source of like so much beauty and like activation and like world building. And oftentimes like I'll listen to jazz, like to get into that mind state, or maybe sometimes I do want to sit with my tragedy because in that small moment or in that moment, that's all I have. 
that makes me feel alive. And I know that sounds super emo and sad. No, 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 no. But it's like sometimes you have to like you need space for your tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. You have to sit with it. Experience all this shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that's the fullest extent of being human. And I think, you know, and I keep going back to this book, but that's essentially another thing that is within this like book is like sitting with that tragedy sometimes like that is also a form of like stillness and like quietude um and again like that's what I think about when I think of like jazz it's like it's like the ultimate like rage and like tragedy but also like quietude and stillness and and meditative yeah I love this like I think well yeah I think about jazz pretty often but specifically like I think about what it means for that to be our cultural music. Like I think about that like a lot. Like when we like anytime we think about these specific concepts of like finding freedom and ambiguity, mm-hmm. finding freedom and mindfulness, being present enough to feel liberated in those small mm-hmm. moments. Like I it's so abundant as an example in a bunch of different of our cultural little right. it's like all thing. throughout yeah. the culture <laughs> but just specifically with jazz like it's so crazy because like you think about a solo when you when you go you go see a live you think about that moment of like expression and intention that takes place with everyone just tuning into this improvisation mm-hmm. like tuning into this like shared experience and it's crazy that everyone just gets up and dances like i just i think about that like so often like i my family like steps and hand dances like a lot and we you listen to this music they're like laments like and we're just enjoying ourselves I think about that so often what does that mean for that to be our one of our like fingerprints on like a larger human experience yeah like it's crazy I mean it's pretty pervasive and But it also, like, I think you mentioned it, you said improvisation. Like, so much of that is a part of our culture. Like, we've had to improvise since we got here, right? But also, before that, like, we are an improvisational, like, people, too. You know what I mean? Because we feel things through spirit and through the body and through, I think, a different concept of time and power um and I know everyone may not always believe that but I'm like our sense of time the way we make time the way we infiltrate time the way we make music like it's so pervasive because I feel like it in and of itself like it's coming from an otherworldly space and so I'm always kind of thinking about that in relationship to jazz because I'm like wow I'm like this art form is like completely improvisational um, and just breaks so many different rules. And like, obviously you have to understand it to like get to that point, but yeah. To use it like that. What'd you say, Xavier? Oh, I said just to use it. You say you had to get to a certain point to, Mm -hmm. I was just added to use it. Absolutely. Yeah. I... Um, I want to be mindful of time because we're going to have to take a break oh, yeah. soon. But <laughs> I do want to ask this, and maybe we can think about this as we come as back. We transition, yeah. Um, what types of like 
textures are you like attracted to just from an aesthetic standpoint? Because we've talked a lot about like um, affect intention and like the whatever type of gesture or handshake you're having with your viewers specifically, or even just like the people that are experiencing you in the day to day. Because I'm gonna make an assumption that you're living this shit. You're just living <laughs> shit. I don't stuff, but. I don't have a choice. No, literally. But <laughs> we, I mean, we can do that, but I, I'm just curious because I know that you're a photographer, like, mm -hmm. and me and Xavier's relationship to observation is based off of painting and drawing. Like we come from like a formal background, but mm -hmm. I know that as a medium, you all have that same like really intimate relationship to looking and like hoping to find like through looking mm -hmm. or like even just like like we said like light hunting like just searching for like moment and now that you're like making objects that are like a different type of conduit than just a photo like I'm just curious about like what aesthetics are you searching for like what are you attracted to when you go out and about like what's the little variation on the ground that you're like damn I gotta flip this up like <laughs> I'm curious about that because I don't know like when you're interdisciplinary everything kind of comes back to a larger continuity as as oh yeah as we're talking about a visual art practice like we're tapping and we're asking different questions and all of that jazz but at the end of the day like why did you choose your aesthetic continuity to look the way that it does if I was to ask it really simply but I'm mm -hmm. hoping that that communicates what I needed to if not you can just ask more. <laughs> no that's such a, a nice question and you put it so poetically I so I think for me within a photo I would say like I'm always looking for like a soft moment as an earth sign I love aesthetics um but <laughs> it's worse Oh, beautiful. I would say, so you were asking about textures and aesthetics. And um, I feel like, I feel like that's changed over time. I, it's always been softness, as I mentioned before, either something I feel that represents a certain amount of like soft but that has kind of like changed over time through the ways that I've like switched like mediums. Um, and it's interesting what you were saying about being multidisciplinary, but always going back to like, in a way, the thing that you first started with, because I feel like I do that a lot with photo and drawing. And so aesthetically with photo, for example, I love black and white photography. That's usually what I have an affinity for. I do appreciate color for different reasons, but I tend to like to make images in black and white. And what's interesting is like, I didn't start appreciating color film really until I started photographing interior spaces. Um, like I would do these practices where I would just photograph objects and things around my home. And um, that's not work that I really share, but that was the first time where I saw color and I was like, wow, 
this, I like this, but it was because it had a certain emotional tone to it because the, because the images themselves represented either myself in some capacity or parts of myself that are like really private or individuals whose spaces I was in, those images represented some aspect of their identity that also felt very private too. Um, and with black and white, I specifically work with 35 millimeter film. And so I love the grain in 35 millimeter black and white film, especially if the light isn't too harsh, because then it's like, it can be really, really, really soft, um, in ways that I think can be harsh. So when I first started, I was doing really contrasted black and white images with flash. And then that kind of, I kind of moved away from that. And I was like, oh, I want to create softer black and white images. Um, and specifically recently with landscape works, I'm really drawn to water. So that's something I've been photographing a lot. And it's just like any body of water. Um, so it can be like the lake. It can be um like a small pond or like a creek or something or a small body of water that I found in like some public parks around the city like the other day I went on the north side and like found a park and was just taking images of the water um and it's really it's like specific textures that I see in the water that I really like so it's like the ripple it's also noticing like the different variations of color that are in water. So like the water in Lake Michigan is gonna be a different type of blue than like, I don't know, Lake Superior in the upper peninsula part of Michigan. Um, and that color is gonna be different than a small pool of water that I might find in like Jackson Park or Washington Park. Like that's it's not gonna look the same. So I look for those dif differentiations and like, patterns and ripples. Um, I also recently have been taking a lot of images of water with like things coming out of it. So um, like sticks or trees or rocks that are coming out of the water, that's been something I've been really drawn to. Um, and I would say with the charcoal pieces, even with those, I immediately wanted to work with charcoal because charcoal is a soft substance and I knew that it was a substance I could use that one was going to it's harsh chemically don't get me wrong like it's not healthy to work with if you want to live a long a long life but the texture of it is very soft um, and I can like smear it. It's also, it comes compressed. So it is hard and I can like use it to like manipulate whatever I want to draw on a page or do on a page. But I specifically want to use it for the act of like having like a material experience. So like with those charcoal pieces that I made, a lot of the charcoal is charcoal that I was like drawing over the paper, but then I used my hand to like cover the page. So I use like my actual hand to do that. And part of that, I think going back to this idea of like softness, like I love just the feeling of it. Um, and I also love the grayscale. So like my aesthetic has always, I will always lean towards a grayscale because that's where I feel I can get the most emotion. Um, it might also just be because I'm comfortable with that. 
um, which is a whole other conversation. But with the charcoal pieces, it's almost like there is a certain grayscale that's happening at some point with the charcoal and the graphite and then the ink. And then also there's like that white page as well, um, which in and of itself reminds me of a black and white photograph. Like if I were to take um, a photograph in a place that had very low light, but maybe there was like a glimmer of light that could be seen almost like a Roy de Caraba image that's very dark, but there's like moments of light. Um, that's kind of what I was thinking of as I made the charcoal pieces. I'm like, I want to make them dark enough, but I also want there to be areas that are illuminated. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's kind of what I think of with like textures. I've always been drawn to like soft textures. I've always been drawn to, um, yeah, just also just like the grain. I like the grain that comes through with film photo. Um, and I also exclusively stopped using digital because of that. <laughs> it wasn't giving me the same like life force that I think. The same like physical physicality yeah even my lens like sometimes when I'm photographing I don't clean my lens all the time um and I think that's because I like the effect that it also has on the film when I work with film in particular moments um it's the same with like negatives that I have with film sometimes I allow like dust or things to get on the negative on purpose um, and that kind of work, I haven't been as like <laughs> comfortable showing, but maybe I'll show that like one of these days. Um, and I'll also say like materially, I at one point was doing literal fingerprints, like Reggie brought up like fingerprints earlier, um, jazz, like being our fingerprint on the world, but I was doing ink fingerprints on slide film, like Kodachrome slide film. Um, and that was my first time working with ink, but again, like I like the tactile feel of like the slide film, the ink pressing my hand on it. Um, and that was another reason why I moved away from photography for a while, even though it can be a tangible practice, I, it wasn't enough for me, um, which was part of my like move into charcoal and paper-based work because it's so material and you have to feel it. Um, and you literally transfer your energy through that. And I had to use so much of my body to make that work in a different way where I think with the camera, there are ways that you use your body, but with that work, that was a certain kind of labor. Like I had to get on the floor. i had to make these pieces. Um, they take hours at a time to make. So I think even just that labor, there was something in me that was like, I need that kind of practice like I need to jump into something that is going to be a little bit more challenging so is it yeah. as far as labor goes is it about having I guess a physical process or is it that specific physical process that <laughs> it's that specific physical process okay um and I've talked about this with other people but it's almost kind of like a masochistic thing in a way not in a bad way but it's all it's all it's almost like this way I felt that I wanted to be in service to my work in a different way 
Um, and for me, that meant putting in more physical labor than I was putting in just by making images with my camera. Um, and so making those works on paper, it was that specific form of labor because that, I don't know, it just does something to your like spirit and your mind when you can like push your body in that way or push yourself through that kind of like tirelessness and like feel that for a moment. Um, and at that particular time in my life, I felt like I really needed something that I could really get into materially um, because photo wasn't, it wasn't enough. It wasn't going to do it. <laughs> I feel like I can relate to that in that way, but also as far as like digital, working digitally and working traditional, like traditionally, you know, more tactile, but also with the black and white and working with color, like, I, before I was like reluctant to even mess with color when it comes to like making work and painting and using color pencils, whatever it was. Um, but then I discovered like, yes, those things that I'm chasing in the black and white are there, but color is a level of distraction mm -hmm. or even yourself, like, fuck the audience, like, it can distract you. Like, just having a relationship to seeing values mm. can be a whole thing, like, as a maker. So there are, like, different things, though, that I would say can make the process feel similar, at least mm. digitally to traditionally in black and white to color, you know, you just got to find those other things that, like, for example, when I make a digital painting, I, I totally know what you mean, where it's like, there's this level of ease with <laughs> digital camera, you can change how the fucking shit looks immediately in Photoshop. Mm -hmm. like, especially when you're working with certain light effects, it can almost feel like you weren't, it wasn't working. Hmm. So I feel like what I try to do is to push the actual machine. So maybe I'm stacking a bunch of effects that are really intense oh. on and then printing that like soft printing, like within the program, but also physically printing it, rescanning. So making, forcing it to be kind of more tactile. I don't know. But so I, I don't like know how you that's... put that, like forcing the machine or like manipulating through that yeah i had this um my first year at scsc he had us just like trying to make stuff with like make art out of images so by editing the hmm. like what do you do to make it a dot text and then change the numbers and all the letters and all the code that's within the image and then when you make it back into an image it kind of like glitches it, distorts it, and you just fuck around with it, copy and paste, all types of, just so that type of, that was an exercise that like reinforced that way of thinking for me. Like, And I know someone who does that. I met a photographer who she does, she was working on a project with like, um, she moved here from California. I think she was in LA. 
but she was taking uh, long exposure images of lightning bugs in her backyard. And then she took those long exposure images and then just layered them and stacked them on top of each other in Photoshop. Um, and so I'm just like, wow, <laughs> like that's amazing. And so like, I love when people are able, I mean, to push, find ways to like push the machine. Um, and it was hard for me when I first started with photography, because I obviously started in a time where, you know, digital photography is like so pervasive and everyone around me was like, yo, you need to get in on Photoshop. You need to do all this stuff. And I think that there's some benefits to Photoshop definitely, but after a while, it still felt too, not like superficial, but yeah, there was something that I, I felt that still was like lost for me. Um, and even the images that I make on film, like I don't edit them once they're done. Like once they're scanned, once they're developed and scanned, or I go get them um, scanned, like I don't, I don't edit them. I don't change the, however it comes out is how it's gonna, is how it's gonna be. That's the permanence. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and even with the distraction, you were talking about color. I think even within a, why I love black and white so much, because even if you're making an image where there's something being activated in that image or something happening that is highly energetic, it still seems, quiet and toned down to me because you don't have all of the colors and the distractions and you can might you might be able to pay attention more to like the gesture and the movements and like that's something I think a lot about too with photography I'm often looking for like a gesture um or a moment that's happening that might signify a gesture that's about to happen mm -hmm. or it's happening in real time um yeah, I mean, yeah. Zakia. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Zakia, I'm curious about like your upbringing and how that like either like influence your relationship to having a practice or just influence your relationship to art appreciation. And I mean, you can answer that in two parts. You can answer like the part about your upbringing, but I also want to throw in too, could you talk on what your relationship is to just like liking shit in a broader like context like what do you go to like i don't know outlets like for any i don't even want to just say like art because it might be you might be like a hiker and really enjoy like hiking, hiking. See? <laughs> <laughs> yeah like what's your little sidebar you know what tapped in. fuck all this other shit even my shit that i'm usually tapped into i'm about to you know I me mean? yeah take this mean hike up this bridge and then come back in the house. Yes. And, and I had to grow to like hiking. I didn't appreciate it really until I became an adult, um, which I didn't feel like happened until three years ago. But I will say, I don't know. I think, so I'll, I'll just go back to my childhood. So when I was a kid, like I was, I was that kid that was always like in my head. Like I had these like, wild imaginative things that were like always happening. And I read a lot of books. So I was like an avid book reader. I was obsessed with Harry Potter. Like I was that kid. Um, I was reading Lord of the Rings. I was reading a lot of like sci-fi. And so- um, Like what? 
what was I reading? I read, um, oh God, I don't even remember. These are like off track authors that I don't even read anymore. It was like random shit that belonged to my uncle because he was into sci-fi and it was like, it was like novels from like the seventies and the eighties. It was like that kind of like time period. You ever read the left hand of darkness? Yes. Yes, but that's our <laughs> Ursula K. Le Guin <laughs> classic. Okay. Yes. There was also another one. Um, oh God. It's like, it's like sci-fi, but like conspiracy at the same time. Oh God, God, God. I think it was called, it's called Behold a Pale White Horse. Have y'all heard of that before? That sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. Behold if a Pale are White Horse. into conspiracy theories and sci-fi, it's kind of like a blend of that. Yeah, um, So like, that's the type of weird shit I was <laughs> when I was coming up. And that was a space that I went to. So it's like, I didn't grow up in the kind of, I didn't grow up in a house that really was like, I wouldn't say we weren't cultured because I think all black folks are cultured. We are the culture, but it wasn't in a way that was intentional. So like, I didn't grow up where my mom was like, yo, you know, look at this artist or this is so-and-so. Like I really had to kind of look for that stuff. And um, I was always at the library, like checking out books that had artists in them. And actually my first introduction to that was like through abstraction before I even knew what abstraction was. I just liked looking at paintings that had nothing to do with like realism or anything real that was depicted. Um, so I think from a young age, like anything that referenced like world building or anything that referenced like making something out of nothing, like that's what I was like drawn to. Um, I also used to go on a lot of bike rides when I was a child as well. So like, I think that um, was another thing that kind of piqued my curiosity. And then my mom, she was the type of parent where she'd be like, okay, get your shoes on. I'm packing a lunch, get in the car. And we'd be like, where are we going? And she'd be like, anywhere. I don't know where we're going, but we're just going to drive for a few hours and see what we find. And so I feel like there was a point in my childhood where like, there was like a sense of adventure. Um, and my mom, and it didn't have to be anywhere extravagant. Like it, like sometimes we would go on like long road trips, like Atlanta or Tennessee to see my family that were planned but it could be like some obscure town that's like three hours like away from us. And she'd be like, oh, there's like a strawberry fest or something. <laughs> We're going to go here. And I'm like, OK, cool. So it's like I feel like because of that, that kind of that made me feel curious. Right. And it's like my mom, I don't think she always had the language to really express to me like how to direct my curiosity or my creativity. But she herself, even if she doesn't realize it, I think she was an early example of that for me. So it's like my mom isn't, she's not the type of person who's going to talk to you about like philosophy or art or politics or any of that stuff. But there were like small things that she did when I was growing up that still made me feel like I had agency to at least be curious about those things or kind of like engage with those things. Um, and so, yeah, I was also a theater kid. Like I love dramatic acting and I love like 
method actors. Like I love film. I love cinema. Have you seen the new Macbeth? No, and I want to so bad. Oh. Getting your take on Macbeth right here would have been crazy. Because <laughs> that's like, what's crazy? But Denzel was doing his thing. No, he really was. He was Before we thing. get too far. I'm already that. knowing. I'm already knowing. No, yeah, okay, he really... The reason I haven't is because I just need to dedicate time to that. But I literally like that is on my list of things to do. Because I think, um, isn't Francis McDormand in that too? I think several actors. Let me check right Wait, what? You think she's terrible? No, I'm terrible with actor names. Oh, it's okay. like a, it's like a thing. Like, because I'm. I was right. about to jump through the screen. No, 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 no. <laughs> But I think she's in that. She's also one of my favorite actresses too. Like, I love her. Like, uh, if she's the person who plays his wife, she's really tapped in. It's just as. An actor, because her husband is the filmmaker, right? Is this who we're talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Francis, Francis McDormand's yeah. husband made the film. Yeah. Wow. It's it's a it's a passion project that just came out really, really good. Oh my god! Uh, I didn't know he was married to married to. Yes, yeah. She's like the stage manager or the cinematographer or something like that, while also acting in it. Like. Oh wow, that's impressive. Yeah. That is impressive. Yeah, it's one, I know it's one of the Coen brothers that directed. Wow. But, but no, that's that's like, those are things that I love. Like, And it takes me a while to watch movies that come out that are new because I don't engage with like new, a lot of like... Um, type. I mean, I do engage with a lot of contemporary like movies and films, but not a lot. And if I do, I take my time before I engage. So going back to like sci-fi, I finally saw Dune last night and that came out forever ago. And I was like, okay, I'm finally gonna like sit down and watch this. Cause I'm like, I have the time and like, I can actually pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Isn't yeah. the set design ridiculous? It was beautiful when you talk about elsewhere i was just like wow 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 and even just like the symbology like of it all like just thinking about like how like relatable it is like just as a black person even though it has nothing to do with like yeah 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 black people i'm like is this has like all of it in here um, and that's even more interesting that I had a conversation about that with my dad, who's in the Nation of Islam. That was a lot. But um, yeah, like that was a beautiful, that was a beautiful movie. And it was, it was slow. Again, it's slow. Yeah. Like, and it reminded me of like being really young and watching like a Star Wars movie. Cause I was like really into Star Wars. Did you see the films are slow? You saw the original Dune? I haven't seen the original one. It didn't look. I'm sorry, not to sound. I'm like, I looked at the trailer and I was like, "Mm, I don't know if this is worth it. You gotta remember, it's an old movie. The old trailers be old trailers do be whack. Give or take. I was like, this doesn't look as poetic and cinematic. Okay, it's not Zakiba, it's a different type. I think it's a different type of intention, like in Mm. that one. Like, I think like the original Dune. 
because we were forced to watch it in high school. Like we we watched it. Y'all had to watch that in high school. We went to art school and it, we went to like oh. a, a pro black art school that just forced us to consume content and like have. But one thing I will say that was really cute. We had like group critiques like twice a year, like the whole department, every kid in the school who did art. We will all sit in a room together and go one by one and talk about like each person's what they made. work yeah. over the course yeah. of the year. And like that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. I would have thrived as a young person so much in that environment. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the I'm not even going fully get into it. It's it's a messy school. But what I what I will <laughs> say is like for the cre- for creativity, it was being because yeah. we also like. I don't know, we were talking about this. I think I even said this to you the other day, Zakia, like growing up in a city with a free museum, like really mm. was different. Like it was different. Now that I live in Chicago and I see the ways that like people keep like things from people, just very plain it's and so simple. Restricted. It's like crazy. It's like, we grew up like skating from school to the portrait gallery and like just as a friend group being able to go to the museum and like skip and like talk about work and then go back to school and like that is just different like going to the museum is like an outing here it's like I'm gonna go to the museum today it's like yeah you have to plan for it yeah (laughs) you can't unless you can just get in for free and you have the access like that like when I worked at um the MCA, like, and I have my staff card, I would use it, I would just walk to the museum. But if you're just like an everyday, like, person, like, coming off the street, and you're like, oh, I think I might go to the museum, like, it's not accessible at all. And like, even just that concept, like, I remember when I went to DC for the first time, I was maybe like 13 or 14. And I was like, it's free? I'm like, I can just, like, I was just com- like, oh. that was like mind blowing to me that there were just free museums that Endless. people could, go, could walk into. You could go to a whole different vibe down the block. Air and space. <laughs> yeah. Bershorn. It's so beautiful. Like, yes. and now like what I will say is like, because Chicago doesn't have that, like it has this grassroots like energy that's so like aggressive about accountability and space making in a way that's honestly like some of the most productive space making I've ever seen. And like, I travel a lot, so I get to see like different spaces, but it would be cute here to just see a bunch of like teens in the museum ruling it. Like, I miss that. Like just seeing kids like find their agency through having opinions. Just about some stuff they like in the and museum. Yeah, yeah. That they can see every other day, every every day. Um, yeah. And I think that's why I think because I mean, as y'all already know, like because Chicago, like when people think about Chicago, like we talk a lot about segregation and redlining, but it's mm-hmm. like segregation here operates in so many different facets, like beyond race. It's like it's like segregation by way of like transportation, like the, even the way the transportation and like CTA is built in the city is restrictive. The, even getting access into institutions, like y'all were just saying, it's like restrictive um, or even getting access to land. It's like really, really hard here to like 
get access to land. And I think that's why the accountability here is so strong and why people here have a certain kind of like, I don't know, it's like a certain type of like determination that can be very aggressive because it's like, you have to be, like you have to be aggressive here to like make space or to even like make a name for yourself. Um, which is interesting because we don't have, you know, the same types of, I think, like resources that like a, a New York city would have or mm -hmm. like LA, mm -hmm. but at the same time, because things are so restrictive here, I think it forces people to like act in a different way or like move in a different way. Um, and people here like to get work done. We might not get it done fast because I've heard people say like, oh man, you go to New York or you go here, people ready to work. And I'm like, yeah, people ready to work in Chicago too. But I think in Chicago, it's about doing the work and like building relationships first. Like you can't just come to Chicago and like work. Like even if you have, even to a certain point, if you have access and like you have like entry point into certain spaces, you can't just come in here and be like, oh, I want to do this. It's like, you, you have to be a real human. Yeah, you got to be like, a real human. You got to yeah, connect with people because people are still going to be like, who? Who are you? <laughs> Not when I know two other people in line trying to. Okay. Right. And I think there's other cities where people are able to do that, like because I think they run on different like a different set of values. Mm -hmm. But I think here in Chicago, it's yeah, people have to know you and they have to like be able to like vouch for you, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, and even making your way here as an artist is really about like relationship building and like being really into the community here like it's very hard to be an artist here and isolate yourself whereas I feel like in other cities that might be accessible because they might be dominated more by like the art market um which has to do with like capitalism and that affects how people engage with one another but I think in Chicago people really do want to connect and they want to like work together and like take the time to do that I mean, it makes sense. Historically, during the Harlem Renaissance, you guys had all the poets and thinkers and like, let's link up and just like shoot the shit. We had, we had the collectives. We had- Cobra, you mean? Like- Obasi. We got Third World Press. We got Johnson Publishing Company. Like people be sleeping on Chicago. Third World Press is from Chicago? Yeah, Hakeem Adabudi. That's crazy. He started that in Chicago. Like people be sleep on Chicago. I mean, you think about the African American Association of like music and like like so much of that, like I think people don't give Chicago its credit for a lot of that stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. These are the facts. <laughs> um, Zaki, I wanted to ask um just as we're closing out, I have two more questions that are specific and then like a broader question, but I'm gonna let Zay get his sense in or whatever. But I wanna know about what element, I know you said that you grew up loving to read. I'm assuming you still love to read since you have pulled out multiple books. What is your relationship to research and like learning and like, I don't know, crate digging, whatever other 
words you want to throw in there that like communicate you finding out information like what is that for you like you have a research concept based practice and you're smart so what do you do in your spare time I would say I I mean it's interesting because I don't read as much fiction as I used to read when I was younger I think fiction in a lot of ways because you're able to take really complicated ideas and put them in a way that is, I think, more engaging. Um, and you can also build worlds that may not exist, but might be tackling like very real issues or topics or experiences. Um, so those were really informative for me. But as I got older, obviously, I've been reading a lot more like nonfiction. And this kind of really started with my background in art history. I have a background in art history and criticism. So I think in general, because of that, it's like to properly understand like an art movement or any cultural movement, like you have to read about it or to understand like the thinking behind certain movements or practices or decision-making. It's like, you have to read about that. And I remember, I think in undergrad, I had a really amazing professor um, named Johari Jabir. And that was the first time I read like, just like black historical texts that made sense to me um, or reading accounts that made sense to me. So like we read a lot about like African retentions in that class. And like, that was my first time understanding like Afro diaspora histories or understanding like this concept of a black diaspora I had never thought about that before because like I said I mean I'm obviously black but like with the family I grew up in this concept of diaspora and thinking about blackness outside of like our experiences was not something that I was like um introduced to until undergrad until college and so I think because of that, that informed the way that I decided to make art. Um, I was also reading a lot about other photographers um, when I was an undergrad. So I was reading a lot about people like um, Roy de Carava or like James Van Der Zee. I also had learned about like people like Ming Smith or like West African photographers. Um, like Seydou Kita and like Malik Sidibe, like all of that was kind of coming into my understanding of like a visual, like um, worldview that I could pull from that was very black. So that's kind of how the research based process started. And I think ultimately when I first started making images, because I love to read so much and like receive information and ideas and concepts I wanted to it made sense that that would find its way into my practice um and earlier on a lot of that text that I was reading I was reading a lot of things by like Alice Walker um Sadia Hartman like lose your mother like reading that for the first time I was just like damn like it's a lot to unpack <laughs> Um, reading texts by like poets like June Jordan and like Nikki Giovanni, like that was kind of the ways that I worked that into my practice. Um, and so it's not necessarily like traditional research, but I oftentimes like to think of research as like 
receiving information to help build a specific kind of like worldview or you're like gathering information or like collecting information. Um, And most of these things relate to me. So it's not just um, collecting information. It's like collecting things that speak to like my experience or the way I move through the world. Or maybe it's like, I'm reading something that's offering me a different way to move through the world that maybe I may have already been feeling, but now I just have a different kind of language for it. Um, And this is the thing about academia and books. It's like, none of this stuff is like new, right? Like none of this stuff is like undiscovered or like new frameworks that people are coming up with. Folks are really just using their resources and using language to make it clear or package it in a way that you can understand it. But a lot of the stuff they talk about in these books, I'm like, we're experiencing it in real time. We just don't always have the language or the resources to like, um, I don't know, commodify it. (laughs) Or document, make it. To commodify it, to document it, to like publish our thinking or publish our thoughts, right? And not that we all should, but I think no, there's definitely real <laughs> brevity there. Like me and Reggie are always talking, like, bro, write that down, write that down. But it's yeah. also like we gotta got mad shit set aside that's written down in like concepts that we feel like maybe my voice is the voice that should be saying something about this. But it's also like you gotta choose your time wisely like really? you know what I mean like you really yes, gotta choose your time because there's parts of me where I'm like in another world like I would love to be like a full-time academic but I'm like that's not my path like that's not my way of like move that I want to move through the world like I would rather speak what I'm working through through the art that I'm making mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. you know develop my thinking through that or I often think a lot of times just about, for example, just even the simple concept of like a diaspora, like the people in my family or like some of the people from like where I come from, they're not thinking about that. But I think, so it's also just like, how do you also use the work to introduce things to people where it's like, they may be experiencing it, but maybe they're not thinking about it in a more directed way or like thinking about explaining to my mom, like this is, you know, um, uses of the erotic, the power of the erotic by Audre Lorde and like explaining that to her. And she's like, oh, like I can understand like what that feels like, or I can understand someone wanting, wanting this or wanting to feel more free in their body, you know, and whatnot. And so. Yeah, I was going to say, it's funny that like, you spoke earlier about the, and sorry to, if I like cut you off. Oh no, you're fine. Oh, you spoke about like, there's almost like an absent-mindedness that parents can kind of undertake when they're just trying to fulfill <laughs> the duties of a parent or like, you know, just make things, you know, there's a general idea of like, yeah, I'm reinforcing your curiosity and invent- your sense of adventure by taking you on these, you know, but maybe it's not so elaborated yeah. with words like, and I, Something I've been in the doing. Right. And recently I feel like whether it's a frequency they tap into when they become a parent or like something that 
you know, it's just an aspect of like caring about you. I do think like, like in that moment when they did find, I guess the language for those feelings that they already, you know, felt like they could relate to, you know, I'm sure if you brought up like, you know, oh, that made me, you know, more curious, more adventurous, like, it, it may almost be like, oh yeah, duh, like, that's what I was, you know, like, they don't even yeah. really see, like, the highlighting of, like, what they're doing sometimes. No, and I agree with that, and I think it's because, again, it's, like, just, like, what you're referring to, it's, like, in the doing, right, and I think, like sometimes it's like we you know I recognize that as my parents like child like I have access to so many different things that they didn't and not even on a socioeconomic level but just like the information that we're so comfortable gathering and collecting from the internet or just feeling the agency that we have to like have the initiative be like oh if I want to like form this thing I'm just going to do it or like, I'm going to go find other people who also want to do this thing. Mm. And we're going to like come together and do the thing. Um, and so I think about that a lot too. And I know that that comes from somewhere, right? Like I know that that's also ancestral. And I know that there are people who did that in my family, but they may have been doing it in different ways. They may have been gathering folks for different purposes or like making for different purposes. Um, yeah, it's a strange like combination of like I needed this thing needed to happen for me to be here, but also it's not necessarily you know two way street like. But you, it's also I couldn't be here without. And sometimes ancestors skip over. Right, like, right. People don't. It's like I could. It's it's like there was there were some things that my great great grandfather was doing that I'm probably doing right now, yeah, like you, my great great grandmother, and it may have skipped over and like and I think that a lot with like partic in particular my grandfather, that there are so many things that we have in common, or things that from him may not have like gotten info. <laughs> may not have gotten passed on to my dad, but they came to me. Um, and so I think that that's interesting. Going back to the whole research thing, I think for me, I collect information in a sporadic way because my brain doesn't work in a linear way. So I'm not usually collecting in an orderly way. It's more so I'm collecting where I'm like, I hear something and I'm like, ooh, I need to save that. And I don't know what I'm gonna use it for, but I'll archive it or put it away or there's something I'll see in a film and I'll screenshot it. Like I have screenshots in my computer from so many different films and documentaries um, and things that I save because I'm like, I wanna go back to that because it visually represents something that I'm working through or it might represent something that allows me to like articulate like what it is that I'm doing because sometimes I don't have the words or sometimes I don't have the images myself, right, to reference, but I might see them somewhere and I'm like, oh, I need to save that. Um, and so I do a lot of collecting. I also collect a lot of audio. That's another thing that I do. Um, like if I'm having a conversation with an Uber driver, if I'm having a conversation with my mom, if someone is saying something interesting or 
someone is just like talking for a long period of time, I'm just like, oh yes, I can record them because I know they're going to be talking. So these are live recordings, you know, you're like, okay, okay. Right. And I've also in the past, like ways that I've done research is like really just like ask people questions. Um, And that's something I want to get back into because I used to do that a lot. Like I would interview my friends or interview other fans and queer folks and keep that as a, like an audio archive of their like experience of the world. Um, I've collected sounds from like water Um, And I just found out recently that my uncle has a radio station that he started that is just sounds of water. (laughs) It's like the most obscure shit ever. And I was like, wait, I was like, nobody told me Uncle Rick was doing this. Like, what? (laughs) Like, what is this? They were probably like, you're into that? (laughs) I'm like, Rick, Rick need to get the collecting sounds from the water. Yeah, like I love all of that stuff. I mean, there's even some beautiful audio I collected um, of this black woman on a train. I got stuck on the train and she just started preaching. I was like, well, hit record. (laughs) I'm like, because this is it's it was, again, something that seems so out of the ordinary, but it was just like so real at the same time. And I was like, I have to document this. So I think when we think through research, I think for me, like I don't. And it, I think the pre, the presentation of it can seem academic because I read a lot of books, but it's not so that it can like lead up to a thing that's like finite. It's like very like cyclical. Like I tend to go back to things or I'll save something and I might not use it for like two or three years. Totally understand. Um, it's passive. It's a lifestyle. Okay. Those listening, it's a lifestyle. It's not... I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not stuck up here trying to do something else. I'm concerned about the work. I'm concerned about what's happening. Yeah. That informs the work. You know, I'm not, sorry, but. And that's a beautiful way to put it. I think, I think that's a beautiful way to put it. Like if you're doing research or collecting information, it means that there is a never ending concern about something and you're responding to it or maybe you're not always responding to it but you are like adding to it or like continuing it in some way or at least i feel that's the marks of a good researcher or a researcher know, moving like, in good faith and i respect people who are like legitimate like you know um what do you call it? Like professional researchers, like people who are getting their PhDs or who work in academia, because that in and of itself is a different type of labor. I mean, you're reading like five books a week, six books a week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I think there's other ways that people can do research and collect information outside of that space that can still be like informative and like impactful within whatever they're doing. Well, that's the thing. I think everybody should like like furnish their mind palace like you gotta like put shit up there like i think everyone should have little archives even just having like your own genre of movies that you're a specialist at like i think like yeah you gotta find some shit to make yours because like i don't know on some like outer perception experience and people shit you kind of are what you what you do like you are living when you enact living you are like being 
humanistic when you like present those virtues like it's like you got to make space for every aspect of it and plus your brain needs food like legit yes it doesn't matter like it literally doesn't i mean i wouldn't say it doesn't matter what it is completely you know what i'm saying you should definitely have some type of you know <laughs> right filter, you know what i'm saying but you definitely oh, should furnish your mind palace i'd be feeling like me and xavier talk about this all the time like just get a fucking hobby like tell everybody like just get a fucking hobby or like or at least just have the agency to take the time and look at what you like like you feel like you don't like nothing like what do you spend your time eating what do you spend your time consuming like what do you where do you go every day like what do you choose to throw on are you throwing on stuff is there consideration what you're wearing like you gotta ask just stop. They care about their silhouette you gotta start there just, like, you mean, just stop. <laughs> my, my silhouette is consistent <laughs> it's consistent like literally literally no, and my silhouette is consistent. like i know it is. you know what i mean like it's not morphing to others others yeah. prerogative others intentions like no like i mean again it goes back to world building like you really literally i was just about to say you need stability yeah. like the yeah. world building is very important so are you familiar with the term isekai Oh no, what is this? It's a trope. I don't even know if it's specific. How do you spell it? I S E K A I. I S E. This is a Japanese word. Yeah. Thank you. Um, me and Xavier talk about it all the time because we be feeling like niggas gotta get their own isekai. You gotta make you gotta make your own like screaming because i'm like this is so real no literally you gotta <laughs> like everybody you gotta get you gotta get your own isekai going you gotta get yeah, I mean, this is elsewhere this yeah, is elsewhere literally. You mean? Literally. and for those listening like it's just you're in a new you're in another world and you oh, live there sure. and maybe you have context of your past world but, but you adapt yeah and you you mean you adapt you grow you, you adapt you get friends, you get mentors, you actually <laughs> engage with the world around you. That's the key really? element of it. You engaging. Yes. I love it. <laughs> but, oh my God. So, okay. I need that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Isekai. Which one? Like, You're engaging? I need that on a t-shirt. Isekai on the t-shirt? Yes. You, look. <laughs> Y'all don't steal that. <laughs> don't steal that. <laughs> don't steal that. I'm like, I've been collecting t-shirts, like just like oversized t-shirts that have really specific things on them. And I'm like, I need a shirt that says that. If we made podcast merch and it just said Isakai, you think that that would be- <laughs> Oh, like, I would buy it. Okay, okay. It would hit for me. I feel like it would hit for other people. Like I'm there. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> Zakia, you're like tapped into like me and Xavier, just for context, we like originally started doing this podcast because we were going to make an artist book. Oh, wow. Um, Which was going to be a collection of like co-written essays. Like just we at first was thinking about making like a Google Doc and just letting people come on it and just attacking the mm -hmm. Google Doc. But 
you know niggas be intimidated by writing. They don't really be trying. Like I mean, you, 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 you reach out to somebody to write some shit, they're gonna say yes. And then like a couple of months later, y'all gonna have to have a deep conversation about <laughs> like how so, writing is one of those things, like I love writing, but it's like the only thing that truly, 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 truly is a test to like my ego and my yeah. and my sense of self and worth. So and I feel like writers especially deal with that. And so then when you ask somebody, yo, let's do it with a a bunch of niggas at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was not like now, mind you, we're hoping that as the platform expands, we'll be able to do that. But anyways, we trying to make an audio artist book of like specifically I love that. We're like, and it's so like where you talk about elsewhere, we're like thinking about these things so actively. We use the term like radically unspecified just because like defining it feels counterproductive, but more specifically, I think that there's a lot of people who just don't have the space to like communicate their thoughts and like just really say, this is what I'm thinking about. Right. And just honestly it, be like- Cause really it could be so right. like specific and not necessarily inaccessible, in like a let's think about this way but in a like if i'm scrolling past this on instagram am i about to stop like which is you know we don't appreciate that we're like no you should stop just like you said we should stop for the mundane moments of like yeah you stopped don't pull out your phone you stop in all the chaos of the day you stop Let's take a moment and look around. The sun is hitting that little pedal over there. <laughs> you know, there's so much things going on that we should give space to like the random last episode or the episode before last black botanist that's tapping into gardening at home. And see, I want to see a movie about that. I want to see because I think about cinema, like I was saying, all the time. Like I love movies and films, and it's like. These are the types of things I also want to see happen in the visual space, like of our culture. So like in photography, in films, in videos, like I want to see these things happening. And I think there's, there's been certain moments, but it's like, where is that? Right. Like where that's happening. Well, this is like the hard part about at least in the end point that me and Xavier have been able to arrive to amongst ourselves. It's like, you know, when you give people things in a visual form, especially like a consumption-based visual format, we don't know why, but then niggas think it's not for them. They think because it's like presented in an escape that it like occupies an outside space that they're going to visit, not a reflective space of what this outside okay. of capitalism is really fucking giving. Like, mm-hmm. but that's the thing. It's like trying to make space and put like real situations in front of people's eyes to actually like look at us like harder and harder. Like I feel like every time like something happens, there's something else that keeps us indoors. So it's like, Hmm. I think hopefully those things can happen. I mean, because they happen, like they happen at the club, like they happen in churches, but like happen on some, like, as far as like pleasure and leisure, like, yeah, like I have moments where I'm like getting coffee or lunch by myself and I'll pick up my phone and go, nigga, why are you picking up your phone? I have to put that joint back down. And like, <laughs> those are moments that I'm like navigating that. But also like, 
it happens in the gallery sometimes that happens in theaters but for the most part like how the fuck do we make those spaces in our day-to-day more often because the old heads are doing it when i'm in the mid when i'm blessed to have the availability in my schedule to go grocery shopping in the middle of the day it's like you're going to the barbershop or a salon it's like the same type of mm-hmm. like micro institution you would find in a church but just it's in the shit pleasure of like i don't know being in the neighborhood like me and xavier we do like a lot of odd jobs just to like meet old heads like on some habit stuff we're like we're transplants like what, what's up like tell us about like doing in the type of shit that like the 80 year old chicago vet that's just been like i've been on the same seven blocks my whole life i can tell you everything about like the corner of that concrete to where that light pole ends like i love people like that because like they were people who didn't have all of these distractions and really had to like mm-hmm. observe like and that was their way of living. And it's like for younger people, it's like we didn't grow. We didn't start growing up with it in the same way that like my seven year old niece is like that is her reality, like coming out of the womb. You know what I mean? But it's like for us and for and then thinking about like the older generation, it's like they didn't have those things. So it's like they're still maintaining that way of life. And I think with us. I feel like we still have a sense of control because we're still, it's like we're young enough to have lived with this or to grow with it rather. I'll just grow say with it, way. yeah. We've grown with it over time. So it's like we still at least know what it used to be like in some capacity, I think. Um, and you know, and that's beautiful. And that's, you know, even just thinking about that, that's one of the reasons why I love working at Southside Community Arts Center because like we, there's a lot of moments that happen. Like just the other day, this guy came in and he literally for an hour was talking to us about everything that was going on in that community um, in a certain moment in time. This was like years ago. And I was just like, wow, when would I ever receive this information or like know about this or find out about this? Um, And I think, yeah. I don't know. This leads. This is a whole other conversation, just about cultural institutions and like older Black folks and like intergenerational spaces. It's important. Um, like me and Xavier both come yeah. from families where our parents and grandparents stuff are community people. Like they own mm-hmm. businesses. They make space. Like that shit is so like sad to watch people not even have context for why that's important. Like, mm-hmm. like. It's just, I'm like, nigga, this is where we come from. Like, it's new for all of us to be not living with our peoples. Not to say we shouldn't be doing it, because I'm a nigga that's like, I want to see the world. But like, we we need to acknowledge that, like, it's new. Like, it's new for us to, like, unfortunately, sometimes pass, not on the soil that we, like, grew up on. Like, there's so many factors that just affect our ability to even channel inspiration. Like, when I'm around my people and I'm like, going home to like start making new work like I try to like visit my family whenever I travel a new place like if I'm gonna go out the states I'm gonna stop home first Mm. the type of inspiration that I'm feeling is not research-based inspiration it's not that's really beautiful like inspiration it's not like damn I learned something it's like yo like nigga we're all the same thing I mean you have that with your friends too sometimes where you're like 
you see yourself in them, like you see yourself in your communities and shit, but like making that and trying to make that a consistent like perspective, trying to make that a consistent vantage point is I think like the hurdle of like anybody that's trying to be present and like do it. It's a practice and not lose yourself. Also, I think it also helps in like not losing yourself to like the things that are not real. Um, like I was just telling someone, I was like, if I ever need to feel like grounded or like I'm being pulled back down to earth, like I go to my mom's house and I have Folgers with coffee made. (laughs) Like like that's what I do. It's like that. It's like going back to that, like familiar. That's part of it. Right. It's so important. It's so important. It's like, no, you're not like Zakia this. You're not Zakia that. It's like you're at home with your mom and you're drinking Folgers with coffee made creamer. And that's what that is. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, I think, I don't know. I think it's just so important for people to do that. And it can be really hard, especially in a world where it's so easy to get rewarded by like being mediocre or it's easy to be rewarded by like I don't know regurgitating what other people are saying yeah meeting the status quo yeah and it's like mm, no it's scary like even (laughs) just off the principle tip like it's fucking scary like like niggas don't even realize how it's like a muscle. Like if you are like exercising something and you just start doing the motion halfway for like a couple of months, when you try to go back to the full motion, you're niggas relearning. Be, you're relearning literally. the whole exercise. It's, like, it's crazy. But it's also like, I mean, it speaks to all the ways that society makes people feel like they're not people. Like that whole cogs and machine shit that like the old heads used to say when I was a kid, that shit is real. Like, I know that we be saying that shit passively, but, like, <laughs> niggas really do be on autopilot. Like sometimes day. they want to be. <laughs> like, they want to be, exactly. They're, they want to be. <laughs> you know, it's like, those people, it's going to sound kind of crazy, but they shouldn't vote. Because <laughs> exactly. this is the thing, like, on both sides, on both sides, the attitude of the, let's say it's two, two affiliations. They got some that, you know, whatever. We, I'm not even going to try to get too political. But their perspective on that person who wants to be a bot is, I'm just going to, you don't care about you, but I'm, I care about you. And I'm going to set up the things that's going to protect you, my version of it. You, yeah. you don't care about your own personal agency. You can't, you shouldn't vote. Not that you can't vote. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think restricted human, you know what I mean? I don't think I don't think that's a government thing. I think you owe your community, you're not fully fulfilling your social contract by voting and not having Absolutely. all the context. Like yeah. you serving what your friend said, what the TV said, what you think. What the you mean, like, come on, bruh. Like you don't know what's going on. You don't know who's on what territory. You don't, you're not there. You don't have live footage. So <laughs> I'm just like, I'm as, as a black person in America, all the history, the historical t- context. I, I mean, it's like, 
That's the okay. We ain't even talking to everybody. But as a nigga, like we <laughs> we used to be like, nigga, they used to treat us like cattle and you don't have an opinion. I just think that's kind of just on the context. That is very scary. That's oh god, yes. Or even niggas who don't like art. I'd be like on some black art history shit. Do you not realize half the documentation of our history is through art? Like, unlike most other people, like we didn't have fucking history books. Like we had fucking art that literally was like, yeah, this, this is, is what's happening. Was. This yeah, right. literally like, <laughs> literally had to reference the art. Shout out to Faith. We whipping out, literally we, we, <laughs> yes. using, we using hymns and slave songs. It's historical. Reference points. Are you thinking about it's that? All documentation. It's all documentation. You know, Zakia, though, as we're like wrapping up, is there anything that you want like the people who are listening to know about you particularly, how to reach you, how to see your work? Do you want anyone to know about any like things that are bustling around? Any lasting concepts, thoughts, work? anything? So. I mean, that was. I mean, that was a lot for me. That was really generative. That was a really generative conversation. And it's been a while that I've been able to like have this kind of conversation um, with folks. And yeah, I'm just grateful. If y'all want to find me, like y'all can Google my name or or search my name on Instagram. Like I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm out here in the digital sphere. Um, yeah, that's yes, it. And that's Z-A-Z-A-K-K-I-Y-Y-A-H-N-A-J-E-E-B-A-H dot com. Yes. Okay? <laughs> Very necessary. And y'all can contact me by email there. And something that I was personally enthralled by, surrender the infinite. Great film. Thank yes. you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Love this. I'm so happy. Very that humbling. You. Very humbling experience here. It was so beautiful to talk to y'all. Well, it was uh, a pleasure and an honor to yeah, have. Thank you for sharing space with us. Like we tell everybody we're prone to ranting, so we're sorry, but like we really oh, love guys. like we love this shit. Like, <laughs> like this shit is crazy. Like we're at this point in our like consciousness as a as a species that we can like make things and then people emote off them nigga we gotta talk about that like that's and we have space to talk about it it's powerful like bro it ain't you mean some people live in scenarios where it is a war outside in a literal way but I'm going to speak to my experience. I live in a pocket experience where... In the the empire. Right, in the empire. (laughs) You know what I mean? I live in the empire. I don't know what to do for those listening, but be me and make art and all that good stuff. So Yeah, do whatever, like y'all said, do whatever makes you feel the most human, like yourself. And that's the thing. It's like, what can you do every day that makes you feel the most like yourself? and that's how I felt talking on this podcast. So I appreciate y'all. Love that. Appreciate you. Appreciate the practice. Also, Zakia is a curator. We didn't get a chance to talk about that. Thank you guys for listening. We're sometimes you're the frog. We love you. All you radically unspecified people take space. Deep breathe.
and do your skincare routines. Yeah, catch y'all next time. Bye.